They give you microphones and they give you instructions. They just never work for me. So, so good to see you tonight. We're thankful for your presence. The context of Romans chapter 12 is found in chapters 1 through 11. Jew and Gentile are justified by grace. Chapters 3, verse 23 to 25. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. By grace through faith is how God justifies. Paul has been making that case uh, throughout the book. He gets to chapter 12 and the rest of the book, and he proceeds to the practical nature of the practice of that faith that God has given. Now that they are saved, how are they to live? Chapter 12 and verse number 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul's plea was urgent. He said, I beg, I beseech, I implore. Paul's instructions were personal. He said, I beg you, present your bodies. Paul's expectations were lofty. He said, a living sacrifice. Paul's explanation was complete, holy, acceptable to God. And Paul's conclusion was sound. He said, this is your reasonable, spiritual, logical service. The phrase I'd like to hone in on is a living sacrifice. We began by admitting that it is a strange sounding concept. A living sacrifice is an oxymoron. Two words or phrases used that they have to seem to have opposite meanings. Another definition says a combination of contradictory or incongruous words such as cruel kindness or a living sacrifice. In fact, it might ask the question, why is such a concept even presented to us in Scripture? And I would say the answer lies in God's creation of man, God's communication with man, and God's expectation of man. You see, God created man from the dust of the ground, and that means we are fleshly beings. God also made us in his image, and that means we are spirit beings. Paul said both in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, when he prayed that the God of peace sanctify you wholly, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. The, the fact of the case is we're two men, and God communicates with both. The natural, physical man is trained in life through the physical world. He uses his five senses to interact, interpret, and understand the world. The spiritual man or the spiritual mind must also be trained to, as Paul says, to see the unseen, to hear the message of God, to read and understand spiritual truths. We cannot live that which we don't understand. First in scripture comes learning and then comes living. But those in and out of the body who can't understand spiritual truths, you, you can't live them out in your life. And so when you hear, as some did in Rome, about God's grace and the fact that sin brought grace and then you conclude that we should sin more to get more grace, well, then you have misunderstood a spiritual truth. Living a spiritual sacrifice, transformation, this is a spiritual concept. And as you read through the gospel accounts, it becomes very clear that part of Christ's coming was to do just that to open the eyes of man to hear and to understand spiritual truths. Christ would often teach a spiritual concept and men would often misunderstand it because they would hear it only physically. 
Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And thus you can hear him say in his ministry, he who has ears to hear. He's not talking about audible sound. He who has eyes to see. He's trying to reach them spiritually. And Christ's efforts to open his audience's eyes is on full display in the book of John. He wanted to open their eyes that they might see, but their physical focus often prevented them from understanding Christ's spiritual truths. A cursory walk to the book of John shows this to be the case. In chapter 2 and verse 17, they asked for a sign. Jesus' response to that was, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. Their response to that was, it took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to build it in three days? John will tell us he spoke of the temple of his body. Here is a good example of Jesus talking about spiritual matters, his death, burial, and resurrection. They are thinking about physical things, brick and mortar. The very next chapter, chapter 3 of John, the first 16 verses, there's a conversation between Jesus and a ruler of the Jews about being born again. In fact, Jesus just said it plainly, except a man be born again, he cannot enter and see the kingdom of God. His response to that was, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus responded, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. Later, he would say to Nicodemus, are you a teacher in Israel? How do you not understand these things? The very next chapter, living water. A discussion is had with a woman at a well about water. Jesus said, give me a drink. Her response to that is, how are you a Jew asking me, of a woman of Samaria, for a drink? He said to her, if you had known the gift of God and who it was that asked you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Now you can imagine the woman's surprise as she says, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep. As you kind of hear the conversation unfolding, you can see why they're missing each other. Jesus is talking about spiritual things and she's thinking in terms of physical things. This conversation goes on and on. Eventually she does come to a place of understanding and she says, we know Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I to speak to you and he. Eventually she goes back to her village and says, come see a man. But as you continue throughout the book of John in particular, you just hear the Lord again and again with this idea. Chapter 5, there are two resurrections. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is again talking about individuals dead in their sins. And they are again thinking about uh, actual death. John chapter 6, he's the bread of life, and it continues. In fact, in that conversation, they reach an impasse, and they cannot understand it to the degree that many of them refuse to follow him any longer. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans eventuates into this spiritual understanding of a living sacrifice. That is a totally different way of thinking and living. Justification by God, by faith, and what that allows one to have and to live. In fact, he would say of the Jews, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
If one's spirit is trained, he can hear and see the spiritual message. He can, again, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, see the unseen. He can understand the spiritual truths. Then he can be justified by God through Christ. He can walk in harmony with the spiritual truths. His spirit can commune with God's spirit. He can live a living sacrifice. Living a living sacrifice is a spiritual truth. And so the question is then, how do we understand spiritual truths? The nature of spiritual truths, as you read through your Bible, what the Bible does and what God does is he reveals things. He develops concepts over time as the revelation unfolds. And so concepts in scripture will be introduced, they'll be explained, they'll be expanded upon, and then they'll be applied and lived out. God communicates with both men. A pattern is followed. It can be seen in this phrase, first the natural and then the spiritual. Paul, in talking about the resurrection, explains how it works. He says, but it's not that which is spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Three examples hopefully will suffice. First of all, our bodies. Again, back in chapter 2 of Genesis and verse number 7. Our bodies are introduced and we're told these words. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There is a man built out of dust. He's formed and there stands his body. Later we will be told how Eve was built. A rib was taken and God fashioned and formed a man. There's our body. There is the opposite of that, God breathing into him the breath of life and man becoming a living soul. The opposite of that is death, and the Bible talks about that. James chapter 2 and verse 26, James says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Faith or works is to faith what the spirit is to the body. It gives it life. So then without it, James would say, it's dead. There's a body and then there's death. A third concept is the idea of adultery. Leviticus 20 and verse number 10, the Bible says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be put to death. Here is the point. Physical realities help us, prepare us to understand and appreciate and then apply spiritual realities. There is a spiritual counterpart to every one of those physical realities. There is a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He would also say, as we have borne the image of the one, we will bear the image of the other. There is also a spiritual counterpart to death. Revelation 20 and verse number 13, the Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There is the physical death when the spirit departs the body, and then there is the eternal death, the spiritual death where the soul is cast into eternal damnation. There is also spiritual adultery. 
idolatry. Hosea, Hosea chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. In chapter 4 of that book, he refers to them as committing adultery. The way we understand those spiritual realities is because we first understand the physical realities. How do we then understand a living sacrifice? That's what Paul says in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And the way to understand that concept is to first understand the natural. What's involved in sacrifice? Back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And if he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's son shall bring the blood, sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. The priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, and order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall be washed in water. The priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt offering, a sacrifice, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a sweet Savior unto the Lord. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish, and he shall kill it. On the side of the altar, northward before the Lord, and of the priest, Aaron's son shall sprinkle the blood round about the altar. He shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat. The priest shall slay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet Savior unto the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering of the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves, of the young pigeons, and the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head. Burn on the altar, and the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. He shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part of the place of the ashes. He shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but it shall not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet sacrifice unto the Lord. Some of the attributes that stand out about this sacrifice is that sacrifices, by definition, were killed. Sacrifices were complete. You hear words like all and whole associated with sacrifices. Sacrifices were intentional. No one accidentally brought or offered a sacrifice to God. Sacrifices were purposeful for sins, for atonement, not for the purpose or the design of the offerer, but for the designs and purposes of the one receiving the offering, which was God. It's also noteworthy that sacrifices were personals. The Bible says he shall kill it. The individual who brought the sacrifice killed the sacrifice. But they were also communal because he brings it to the priest and the priest shall sprinkle the blood. 
Ultimately, sacrifices were to please God, a sweet savior unto the Lord. Words that stand out in that text are words like willingly. That's how it's brought. You see blood frequently throughout that section of scripture. Things like kill, cut in pieces, fire, ring the head. Sweet savior to God. By the progression of revelation, first the natural sacrifice animals, then the spiritual, now sacrifice yourself. First, kill the animal. Second, live a living sacrifice. By the revelation of physical realities, we understand what living a living sacrifice must mean to God. As best as I can ascertain it, there are no living sacrifices in the Old Testament. We learn what living a living sacrifice is by learning Christ. Please fix this firmly in your mind. Christ is everything. Christ is the origin of life. John says that in chapter 1. In him was life. If you could and if it were possible for you to start here and trace back as far as you could to your origin of life, just ask life, where did you come from? Where did you begin? If he took off walking backward, he'd walk himself to Christ. Christ is the foundation of Christianity. No other foundation can be laid. Christ is the source of Christianity. Christ is the school lesson of Christianity. When disciples enroll in Christ's school, they learn Christ. He's the lesson plan. But not only is he the lesson plan, he's the teacher of the lesson plan. Not only is he the teacher and the, the lesson plan, he's the example of how to live the life that he calls us to. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus said it simply, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and please circle, underscore, do whatever you need to do, for this is the crux of Christianity. Take my yoke and learn of me. Amen. For I am meek and lowly and you shall find rest unto your soul. If we are not thinking, talking, living like Jesus, then we're doing Christianity wrong. Christ lived a living sacrifice. How did he do it? Let me say this before we make three points. A living sacrifice can only be lived by a person who is free, not one in bondage. It can only be lived from a place of a personal autonomy, self-ownership, self-responsibility. And it's only lived from a position of salvation. Three things Christ did to live a living sacrifice, showing us what transformation looks like. Number one, Christ saw himself as a sacrifice. Jesus is actually referred to as a lamb. John chapter 1 and verse 29, twice between verse 29 and verse 36, John refers to Jesus that way. 
The next day John seeth Jesus and coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, I come after cometh me a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Again, the next day after John stood, two of his disciples looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Just here, I need to warn you, please don't try to misunderstand. Sometimes when people don't want to live and follow Christ's demands and live up to the expectations of Christ, they simply feign ignorance or confusion. They say things like, I don't understand, I don't get it. Here's what I mean. Ask a husband or tell a husband, Ephesians 5 says, love your wife. And suddenly, I don't know what love is. Help me, I'm, I'm confused. The Bible says, nourish and cherish her. Well, I've never heard of those words. Foreign words to me, nourish, cherish, who does that? The Bible says, reverence your husband. I don't know reverence. I've never heard. Submit to your husband. I have no idea what you're talking about. This is the way people do. When they don't want to live up to what God and Christ is calling them to. We tend to reason poorly and on purpose. We're inconsistent. Try to prove our point to maintain our belief. We read sacrifice and then somebody says, well, sacrifice means I have to give up all my rights. Sacrifice means I'm a doormat. Sacrifice means I have to let people walk all over me. And since God doesn't want me to do that, I guess I can't be a living sacrifice. Jesus saw himself as a sacrifice and he never gave up his rights. Jesus saw himself as a sacrifice. He never became a doormat. Jesus saw himself as a sacrifice. He never let anyone walk all over him. In fact, Christ was a living sacrifice from a position of strength. No one overpowered Jesus. No one submitted Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 10 and verse 17, Jesus says, that's what does my father love me because I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down that I might take it again. In fact, so that we wouldn't misunderstand, he said, no man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment I received of my father, Christ was a sacrifice from a position of strength. No one's forcing me to do this. I have the power to do it. This is why I'm saying it has to be done from a person that's free. It has to be done from a person who has self-autonomy. It has to be done by a person who's saved. Other people can't do this. Number two, Jesus did this from a position of honor. John chapter 3 and verse number 13, Jesus knew who he was. He said, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. In 651, he said, I'm the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In chapter 10 and verse 9, he said, I'm the good shepherd. He also said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved and go in and go out. Chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. Jesus is a lamb, yes, from a position of honor. He came down from heaven. He knows who he is. He also did this from a position of choice. Freedom, Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If being a living sacrifice makes you a weak, insignificant victim of the whims and wishes of men, you're not living like Christ. Christ didn't see himself as a victim. He saw himself as a sacrifice. Number two, Christ surrendered himself wholly to God. The word surrender means to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. Christ surrendered his heart to God. The physical heart has four chambers. The right and left atrium, the right and left ventricle. 
The spiritual heart also has four chambers. The intellect, we receive information there. That information is processed in our minds. And what we think, we then feel. That's our emotion. The second thing, the second part of our heart is our emotion. We feel what we think. You'll want to see uh, Jacob's response to the coat that his sons brought home. They didn't say, it's your son's coat. They asked him if he recognized the coat. Jacob's intellect kicked in and said, that's my son's coat. Once he concluded that an evil beast has rent him in pieces, Joseph is without doubt dead. That's his intellect. Now he feels what he thinks. And so he tore his garments. He fell to the earth. He poured dust on his head and he mourned those feelings. That emotion is the result of his thinking. The third part of our heart is our will. When our thinking tells us this is what we believe, then our emotion feels that belief. And our will will then say, well, this is what we're going to do about what we think and feel. And then our conscience, the last one to the party, will come along and say, hey, I see y'all have had a meeting. <laughs> Intellect, I see you've received some information. Emotion, I see that you have agreed and you feel what he thinks. And will, I see that you're going to do what they've concluded. And as long as we do what we all believe, then I will go along and say nothing. It doesn't mean that what they concluded was right. See Acts 23, 1. It simply means we're going to act in harmony with what we concluded. And the conscience will say, I'm on board. But if we go against what we believe to be true, then the conscience will say, I'm going to nag y'all until we turn this bus around. <laughs> what are we saying about Jesus? Jesus surrendered his whole heart to God. Jesus didn't lose his intellect. He read, he understood, he reasoned, he grew in favor with God and man. Jesus didn't lose his emotions. He was angry, he felt compassion, he grieved, he sorrowed, he loved. Jesus didn't lose his will. He planned, he purposed, he prepared, he pursued, he acted. And Christ didn't lose his conscience. He walked in harmony with that. He talked, walked, saw, heard, was attacked, threatened, suffered, lost, and he lived in harmony with it. In fact, he lived what he learned. He would have no doubt learned as a young boy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and verse number 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Not only did he learn it, but he lived it. In fact, he taught it. The one of them who was a lawyer asked him, tempting him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and he did it. Christ surrendered his heart in every area of life. In fact, it is a safe statement to say that Christ's life was characterized by surrender to God. 
He surrendered to his earthly parents. Luke 2 and verse 51, he was subject to them. He surrendered to his heavenly father. He that sent me is with me. The father had not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He surrendered when he was tempted. Matthew 4, 1 to 10. Luke 4, 1 to 10. He was hungry. He was able to take care of it. He was the son of God. There was a little word in that text with a big challenge. Imagine hearing the words, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, I am the son of God, he could have said, but he didn't. He surrendered his will. He did not act out of that, didn't give in. It is written, it is written, it is written. Christ's lowest point in his life characterized by surrender. Matthew 26, verse 39, verse 42, verse 44. He went away a little further, fell on his face praying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Three times saying the same words. In fact, even after that, Christ's last moments on this earth characterized by surrender. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, after scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, there was yet a vessel full of vinegar, filled a sponge with vinegar, put it on hyssop, put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. How do you live a living sacrifice? Christ saw himself as a sacrifice. Number one, Christ surrendered his whole heart to God. Number two, number three, Christ sub substituted himself for others. Sacrifices died for others. That's what the lambs did. The lambs died for the sins of the people. In fact, the lamb's entirety was used for others. The lamb's wool for clothing, the lamb's body for food, the lamb's blood for redemption. Christ's sacrifice was for others. The plan was always for him to come, Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. As you read through the Bible, you run into these pictures, these snippets, these, these little introductions to what will be. And you can see as God unfolds the plan, the idea of substitution, sacrificial substitution is included all the way along the way. As far back as Genesis chapter 22, 1 to 18, with Abraham and Isaac. In that text, there is a father who loved. There is a son who was willing to follow. There was a three days journey, an instrument of death, a place of sacrifice, an individual son tied down. Father raised his hand. In his mind, he killed him. Hebrews 9, 17 to 19, he didn't just kill him, he received him back. He rose from the dead. But before he could actually do that, there was a ram caught in the thicket. He took him and put him in the stead of his son. Later, as the Bible continues to develop, we get to Isaiah 53, and we see a same, the same scene. There is a father and a son. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, rejected, despised. He, the Father, laid on him, the Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was bruised for our transgressions. All we like sheep have gone astray. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. But there's still yet one more picture, and that's Calvary. And there the Father, who loved, he was sent by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. 
This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a son who came willingly. He's God's lamb. That's the son. Abraham's faith was tested, but God gave his son for sinners. Isaac was taken off the altar. There was a substitution. Isaac wasn't a living sacrifice. He was a sacrifice who was allowed to live by substitution. But God's son is the lamb put on the altar. Christ is the substitution, and we get off the altar. We, the enemies of God. We, the ungodly. We, the sinners. We, the defiled. We, the selfish servants of sin and Satan. And yet Christ came willingly. Oh, he could have prevented it. Talk about yielding your will. He didn't do anything wrong. He lived a living sacrifice. Abraham may very well have prophesied it. As he and Isaac were walking to the spot, in my mind, I don't imagine Abraham even breaking stride. His son with him, on the way, knowing what he's going to do. And Isaac says, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the lamb? My son, God will provide himself a lamb. The next day, John saw Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. As God's lamb, he gave all for others. Christ was a living sacrifice. And then he became a sacrifice who died. Let's make some application in the few minutes we have left. How can we live a living sacrifice? How can we be transformed like Christ? Number one, we must see ourselves properly. We are lambs, aren't we? We must see ourselves as a living sacrifice. I might ask, how do you see yourself? The world will have us thinking that we ought to be something that God does not intend for us to be. Can you imagine us all going out to the jungle, going out into the animal kingdom, and everybody being allowed, pick your animal, pick your spirit animal. Which one do you want to be like? Maybe the bears, the tigers, the elephants, foxes, snakes, alligators, anybody? Who would say a lamb? Yeah, let me get that lamb. The other animals, they come equipped with their own defenses. The lamb needs a shepherd. Are you living a life that needs a shepherd? Lambs need to be led. Do you know the way? Or are you following the shepherd? Those animals are the ones, they don't need protections, but the lambs do. Do you need the Lord's protection or are you going to avenge and defend yourself? Jesus was a lamb. Let me ask you, are you? You want to be transformed like Jesus? You want to live a living sacrifice like Jesus? How do you see yourself? He was a lamb. How about you? Number two, we must surrender our whole heart to God. Lambs don't fight, they surrender. In fact, it's safe to say that Jesus died before he died. Because Christ died to himself first. Not my will, your will. It's the death of his will, in fact, that allowed him to die on the cross. And then he calls upon us to do the same thing. Luke 9 and verse 23, take up your cross, deny yourself, come after me. You have to die. Are you willing to do that? 
not in the word, but in deed and in truth. We must die, Romans 6, 3 to 12. We have to surrender our wills. It's not surrender if you still do exactly what you want to do. It's not surrender if you still have to have things your way and your life is spent like a Burger King slogan. It's not surrender if you are constantly fighting for your rights and making sure nobody ever gets over on you. It's not surrender if you are avenging yourself. It's not surrender if you aren't living like Jesus. Try to imagine having the infinite power that he has. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9, and they came to arrest him. And he went. After they arrested him, they beat him. And he didn't fight back. They spit on him. They mocked him and he remained quiet. They lied on him and he didn't defend himself. Oh, how hard is it not to defend yourself? Oh, how hard is it not to stand up for yourself? Especially in one of those few instances where you're actually innocent. They lied on the truth, and he didn't defend himself. His disciples betrayed him. He accepted his kiss and called him friend. Another denied him, and all he did was look at him. He could have called angels to destroy them, but he did no. Like a sheep, dumb before his shears, he opened not his mouth because he surrendered his whole heart to God. How can we do it? Substitute self for God's glory. We are called to serve God. Oh, that we would all, oh, that I would, whenever the Lord needed me, here am I. Send me. Jesus did. I do always those things that please him. We're not only called to serve God, we're actually called to serve ourselves. How so? Peter would say it this way. Save yourselves. If you lost, you need to care enough about you to get saved. Jesus would say, humble yourselves. Love others as yourselves. Deny yourself. Control yourself. And we're called to serve others. Prefer one another. Oh, that we could all live like the little Chip and Dale cartoon where they really can't ever get anything done because they both keep saying, you first, no, you first. No, I would never dream of going in front of you. No, it's got to be you. It could never be me. You first. Oh, that we would prefer. Amen. Bear one another's burdens. Substitute my will for yours. Visit one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Paul said it, well, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He exhorted, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's actually a verse that sums up what it means to live a living sacrifice, and it's not chapter 12 and verse 1. It's the verse right before it. It's Romans 11 and verse 36, where Paul, by way of conclusion, says, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory 
Amen. From him, God is the source of all things. Through him, God is the means and agency of all things. To him, God is the end of all things. To him be glory. God is the purpose of all things. There's a song we sing that I think sums up well a living sacrifice. The words are as follows. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be. When I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee, all of self and none of thee, all of self and none of thee. When I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee, yet he found me, I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree. My wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Some of self and some of thee, some of self and some of thee. And my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self, more of thee. Less of self, more of thee, less of self, more of thee, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self, more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, Thy love at last has conquered. None of self, all of thee. None of self, all of thee. None of self and all of thee, Lord, thy love at last has conquered. None of self and all of thee. A living sacrifice is the only way for a Christian to live. Amen. For it's the only life that emulates the Lamb of God. If you're not a Christian tonight, don't let the Lamb's blood be for naught. He died for you so that you could live with him. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Change your heart, change your mind. That's the purpose of the physical realities, giving rise to the spiritual truths. Change your heart and your mind. The Bible calls it repentance, a new mind. I've received some information and I believe it and I want to change. I change my heart, I change my mind. We die to that old man, we confess we confess loudly to any who will hear, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And God says, take that old man, bury him in the water of baptism, and rise and live this transformed, sacrificial, be a living sacrifice. If you've never done that, we beg you tonight to put Christ on in baptism and let him save you. If you have done that, then we beg you to examine your heart, examine your life, and see, am I a living sacrifice like my Lord? If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.